When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. First and ten. It's Cousin. And he'll throw. And he's got Rudolph. And he's got an open path to the end zone. Minnesota's got their first lead on a 36-yard touchdown pass. Cousins to Rudolph. You guys can be as hard on me as you want. Uh, I'm living a dream. I'm well compensated. you got to take the good with the bad, right? If that means pressure and there's weight and there's expectations that sometimes are unfair, that comes with the territory. Welcome to... uh, to maybe live in life at a, at a higher altitude than I used to. So, sure, I would love to have all the credit and none of the blame, like Michael Scott says in the office, but uh, it doesn't work that way. And uh, if anything, I'd like to be able to set an example for my teammates of what it should look like to take blame and to point the finger at yourself. Oh, Kirk Cousins, always a trip to listen to after Minnesota Vikings wins and losses. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here to break down the Vikings' victory over the Denver Broncos. And I have a a broad question for us to start, Mr. Rosenfels. That is, are you more concerned that the Vikings fell down 20 to nothing or excited by the fact that they came back and won? If you could only pick one and not... Sort of blend those emotions, which I think everyone is today. Uh, which would you pick? Well, we've been looking for this uh, Vikings comeback at some point. We've been talking about it for two years. You know, is, is there going to be a game uh, where they're down by 10 points, 17 points, 20 points in this situation uh, in the second half? And, and their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, can he bring them back? You know, they signed him for games like this. Well, to be to be down by 10 or 17 or 20 points, you have to play terrible uh, for the first half, which is what the Vikings did, and it wasn't just the offense. It was really all three phases of the game uh, did not play well, and they're sort of doing everything they could to lose that game, And uh, but then played really, really good football in the second half. Kirk played great. Uh, the, you know, the, the entire the, the defense obviously got a ton of stops, and uh, you know the Vikings got a got a, got a great win. And, and you know the Bron- if you're a Broncos fan, I will tell you what, this is like this is like maybe their fourth or fifth game that was like pretty much just like this, where they've had some sort of lead right at the end and and, and couldn't get it done. Should have won the game, but uh, the Broncos obviously played really poorly in the second half. And and uh, but you know the Vikings played well and, and Kirk played well, and this is the game that we've been waiting for. Yeah, I think uh, we learned why they've lost so many close games because their head coach does not know how to manage them, and uh, they also make really poor decisions. And clearly, 
um, can't keep people in front of them when they're ahead in a football game. Kyle Rudolph, a 32-yard touchdown. Stephon Diggs, a 54-yard catch. I mean, those things, when you're up in a game, are the like cardinal sin, the dead last thing that you can ever do, and that's exactly what Denver did. And the fact that they only pressured Kirk Cousins six times total and maybe once or twice in the second half I think tells you about uh, the Denver defense quite a bit, that they were kind of the perfect design for Kirk Cousins to win against them when they couldn't really create pressure with their front four, and the Denver did not blitz very much. They kept kind of just running it back, four-man rush, four-man rush, and when the Vikings went up-tempo, they were able to wear those guys down, and in the second half, Sage, there was just no pressure whatsoever for Cousins. So there's this feeling for me, like you deserve credit for the win. You don't have to apologize for it. Like Everyone should be happy in that locker room about it. They should be excited. Vikings fans should be super happy about it. You're 8-3 and going into the bye. You couldn't ask for much better than that. And yet at the same time, boy, you came close to losing to your third backup quarterback of the year, and they really kind of handed it to you in the second half. Well, this is the NFL. When you don't play your best football, you can get beat by anybody. And uh, the Vikings were, were playing so poorly that it didn't matter. You know, they could have been playing the. I'm trying to think who's the worst team. The Bengals right now, the worst team. I mean, the Bengals could have could have got a ten point lead. I think on the Vikings at halftime. By the way, Minnesota played in that mm-hmm. first half. I mean, you know, everything they tried to do didn't work offensively. They gave they did give up five sacks in the ball game, despite the fact that he wasn't you know blitzed a lot. The O line struggled in some spots. There were some TFLs, tackles for loss uh, in the running game. This is one of those games where. They couldn't run the football very well, yep. and we have not seen that very often this year, if at all. Where there was really, I mean, they had thirty-seven yards rushing in that ball game, but yet somehow still, uh, still, still found a way to to come back and, and score touchdowns and, and and huge touchdowns and. And, uh, and it wasn't just the, the Kyle Rudolph play where he was wide open on the bootleg for touchdown or the Stephon Diggs uh, bootleg play also. that was the He's actually like the third or fourth option in that play uh, for, for the other touchdown. There was just a straight go route uh, early in the second half uh, that, uh, that Denver gave up to, to Stephon Diggs. And it's just like there's no reason when you have a lead like that, keep the ball in front of you. Yep. There's just no reason to allow to get, get the ball uh, on a on a forty or forty five yard go route. I mean, play it deep to short. Keep the ball in front of you. Make them run comebacks and stop routes for eight, nine, ten yards. Give those to them. Make it earn it down the field. I don't know what you know, the Denver uh, defense was doing that secondary uh, a lot in that second half. But you know, uh, congrats to Kirk Cousins and, and and that whole crew for taking advantage of a team that you know sort of does not know how to win football games right now. So I think it's pretty clear that if the Vikings played like they did in the first half of that game, you said. Cincinnati could have been up on them. Well, how about how much Seattle would have been up on them or Green Bay? And they're going to play those two teams shortly here. Let's diagnose, Sage, what happened in the first half. I I think it starts with the quarterback looking shaky, and it's very hard to predict with Kirk. I mean, uh, we've brought up before the primetime stats, and I've never really believed in them. And there's the when he plays good defenses or when this or that. We try to like pin it down. So when is Kirk going to look like that? And I think the answer is you really don't ever know. 
And I don't know what Denver was doing. I haven't had a chance to look at the film yet because they don't post it until usually uh, Monday night or, or Tuesday morning uh, to figure out what Denver was doing early in the game. But a lot of times it looked like Kirk Cousins just standing in the pocket, standing in one spot, not getting rid of the football, not getting it out, checking down to the fullback when the other team jumps off sides and you should just heave it down the field to somebody because it doesn't matter. And we see Aaron Rodgers do that all the time. Like basic things that he succeeded with just were not there in the first half, and you could see why they got shut out when Delvin Cook wasn't able to run the football. So in your mind, what was it that got them down 20 to nothing? Well, offensively, it was sort of a mix of, you know, ever it was always someone's turn to screw up. You know, we, there that's a phrase that gets used sometimes where it's like, hey, 10 guys did a perfect job on that play, but somebody screwed up. They had a couple holding penalties. Uh, there were some, some incomplete passes. There were some batted down balls. Obviously, the sacks. We all know when, when the Vikings get behind the chains, you know, second 20, third and 14, uh, when they get sacked, it's very, very hard for them to come back from that. And, uh, so, so just one, you know, one player would screw up on a play. Again, in the running game, there's be some tackles for losses, uh, on the other side of the football and, and they couldn't get things going. And, you know, there were a couple of blitzes where Kirk read the thing right. But sometimes you uh, you go through your reads and the defense just sort of has the right defense for the play you had on. I mean, there was a there was a strong dog or a, a, a Sam Mike blitz coming from the field and Kirk went weak. Usually you get that halfback, the running back in the flat route for for a nice game. But you know, Von Miller's a dropper on that play, and when he dropped, he didn't drop into more of the zone coverage, which a lot of times they do. He dropped more of a man uh, a coverage spot uh, and basically just guarded Dalvin Cook, and you know, so you don't get a first down. There's like some some bad luck also involved in that so the the, the vikings uh, created some of their own mess uh, but sometimes you just do run into bad luck and and, and uh we all know their offense is better than that and uh and you, you, you sort of had a feeling at least i did i had a feeling that they were going to come out in the second half and play better i, I didn't know they're going to score uh you know 27 points and, and turn the whole thing around but you had i had a good feeling that they were going to get you know they're going to have 200 250 yards of offense in the second half and they came right out right out and and uh you know that that first drive that first drive is huge. When you're down twenty nothing at halftime to come down the field and score a touchdown that first drive, it's you know, you're no longer it's no longer a three, you know, touchdown game basically at that point and still a ton of half left. And only, you know, being down by thirteen points with all that half left, I they they had to feel good about that. Uh and, you know, so but but on that drive they went, you know, not not two minute, not you know where they're you know where you're playing as fast as you can, but in that sort of hurry up mode, no huddle offense, uh, try to get things moving faster, uh, you know, take less time because they they needed every possession possible in that second half. Well, let me stay with the the first half in getting behind because it wasn't all Kirk Cousins' fault. Clearly, I mean the offense wasn't moving, but in the past. You go back to 2017 and even some games last year, the defense would keep them in games where I remember against, and I know it's not a good opponent, but Cincinnati toward the end of the 2017 season where Case Keenum was getting booed in the first half and people were cheering for Teddy Bridgewater to come in. And they ultimately blow out Cincinnati, but part of that was because the defense showed up and made a couple of plays against the Bengals to make sure that that game didn't get out of hand and the fact that you win a couple of drives without scoring just didn't really matter because... As long as you score at some point, you'll be fine. The defense is playing that well. Uh, Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune had this stat that the Vikings are 25th when it comes up to giving away passing plays of more than 20 yards. And we saw a wide receiver throw a a 38-yard pass. We saw Cortland Sutton jump up over Xavier Rhodes. Uh, We saw a pass interference that was key in the first half. 
uh, Sage, this continues to be a pretty mega problem for the Vikings of giving up big plays. And I thought part of the reason they were able to come back and win is that Denver just wasn't as aggressive throwing down the field in the second half and continuing to test Xavier Rhodes and continuing to test Trey Waynes. But I think we've gotten to the point of... There is no real solution here, and everybody knows it that they face. And giving up 20 points and a half to Brandon Allen should be pretty concerning. Well, you know, there's some plays that they hit, and you know, we play man-to-man coverage, and and they took a shot deep. They actually ran that burner play that I uh, created that video for for the website uh, a couple weeks ago. They ran that, uh, and they hit Sutton on about a 45 or, or or 50 yarder down the field, and he just basically went up. It was good coverage, just went up and and grabbed it. And I, you know, I did not realize how good he is. I've yeah, seen he's him a good play player. some. Tim Patrick, I think, is a pretty good player too. Big guys, big six three, six four. Uh, bodies and those are just tough for for any corners to to guard uh, when they throw it up like that. So you know what's what's really interesting to me is you go to the Vikings first three drives. You have a third and one. Well, they they go the old fullback handoff. That's I don't get that one. I right? don't understand that one at all. So, I well, love fullbacks, you know, I'd rather I have the fullback that. handoff than the than the tight end reverse, which uh, is what the Broncos totally did agree. Later. Totally agree. <laughs> As the Broncos did everything they could to lose the game, that was one that got buried. But that is definitely one that deserves to be mentioned. The the, the tight that, end reverse. Are you kidding? Yeah, obviously, Rich Scangarello, the offensive corner for the Broncos, really likes Noah Fant. I mean, they draft him the first round, and, and he, they really try to do a lot of things with him, and I don't think he's that good. I mean, even the last play of the game, you know, he was the guy, they, the last two plays of the game, he was the guy they went to uh, at crunch time, and I saw him play at Iowa for years, and he wasn't really ever a crunch time you know, type player. You know, very talented guy and has the speed and those types of things, but you know, not a guy, I'm, I don't know if I'm, I've ever handed a reverse off or, or seen a, a reverse to a tight and work all that well. So on a, anyway, you got, the, you got the fullback handoff on third and one unsuccessful. You got that zone dog play where he hits Cook in the flat, but uh, Von Miller's dropping, so that's a little bit of bad luck. So now we're over for two um, on that third possession that, you know, Elfline has a false start. It's an iron third and 14, ends up being a sack for Von Miller. So you go, bam, one, two, three out of the gate, uh, three bad possessions, and then just sort of, you know, steamrolled from there, right? So, uh, you know, the next possession, again, Bradbury beat uh, first play of the game, uh, or first play uh, uh, for a for a TFL and um, you know then there's a holding on a play action that Diggs was open for. Now we have you know four possessions in and we've sort of beaten ourselves and just have not you know put a quality drive together for the you know eight to ten to twelve plays that you need. And, and again, it, it always seemed like it was just sort of one guy that would make that mistake. And in the second half, they cleaned that up. Yeah, they, no, you're right that in the second half they were able to clean that up with a lot of help from Denver for sure. Um, but on the defensive side, I thought that. Uh, it was more Denver trying not to win or trying not to lose than trying to win on the offensive side that helped the Vikings defense. And then the decision at the end of the first half, and I'll never understand this one in a million years, why you're up 20 to nothing. You get the other team fumbling on a kickoff, which stop returning kickoffs already. <laughs> Right, they're going to give you. The, they're going to give you the ball twenty five. Do you remember the days when a twenty five yard per return guy was awesome? Like, oh wow, he's all close to leading the league. Twenty five yards per return. Now you need to be the best guy to make it worth it to even get to the average of like the twenty seven. Stop well, you returning know what's interesting, kicks. By, you know what's interesting is is uh, you know I'm obviously I'm an Iowa State Cyclone and I've seen enough of their games this year where uh, they, you would love Matt Campbell's approach to that. That's our head coach. They will fair catch the ball. You know in college football if you fair catch it 
you automatically get the ball on the 25-yard yes. line. Yep. So if you fair catch the ball uh, in the field of play on the 5- or 10-yard line, they will just t- – he, he does not want to have the backed-up situation. He does not want a holding penalty on some guy or a push in the back or a fumble. You know, you're carrying the ball, and guys are running 50 yards as fast as they can at you. They're going to hit you hard, and there's a chance you might drop what you're carrying. So uh, <laughs> they fair catch it all the time. And we just want the ball in the 25-yard yep, line. I totally we, agree with that. Whether you scored or it's the end of the half or the game or, or, or being in the second half or whatever it is, we just want the ball. You know, and not very not very often uh, unless you have a great returner or something out to, you know, midfield or, or for a long one. So we just want – I always just say that on punt returns too. Like, I'm fine with fair catches. Like, we just want the ball. You know what I mean? Our defense got their stop, and then you have guys go out there and try to, you know, try to catch uh, balls and return balls when there's guys right on top of them. I'm like, man, let's just, we want the ball. The defense wants to get out the field. The worst thing you can do is is have that uh, uh, fumbled punt or muff punt, and now our defense has to put their helmets back on or run out there, and now they're all, everyone's all upset at the, the returner. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, uh, the, you know t- take the knee and, and take the ball at the 25-yard line and go from there. Very surprising and a really big play in the game was that interception right after the fumble. The very next play, Zendejo picks off the quarterback yes. uh, right right near the goal line. If they don't do anything on that drive and just kick a field goal, now they're up twenty three nothing. That that that's a that's a big difference, I think. Twenty nothing and twenty three nothing. Four scores. Yep. It's yeah, it's sort of a four score type game where you have to go for two or you know, those types of things. So that was a huge play in the game uh, as well. Yeah, and and that goes under the category of the Broncos sort of handing the game away, which is uh, if you were putting, like, um, Boy Meets World fans would appreciate this because there's a famous episode where they put M&Ms on one side and the other, you know, one side for this girl and the other side for that girl or however the episode goes. And if you're putting M&Ms in one side for you should be really scared about what happened yesterday going forward and how it's going to affect the Vikings if they do it again. And then the other side for you should be really happy with how things went. Um, on the scared side is, boy, the Broncos did everything they possibly could, including going empty set with a backup quarterback and heaving the ball down the field 20 yards into the end zone when they didn't even have to rush at that point, and they could have handed off three times, had a four-score lead. Essentially, you're right, the uh, the two-point conversions do come into play, so maybe it's a three-score if you're well, really it's lucky. Well, it's still, it's still a four. I mean, you still have to convert on a two-point conversion. Right, right, exactly. So still but the, the game is almost over at that point, though. If you even kick a field goal there, and, and they end up throwing it away. And, and by the way, by the way, of, of the three worst calls of the game, I'm going to go with the uh, that is the third worst call, but maybe even maybe even the second worst call. You've got the the, the reverse to Noah Fant, yes. and then they had a third and seven where they just ran the ball for four yards and they kicked a field goal. And they We're on the same it. page here. Like, what was that one? I mean, like, th- really? You're just going to run the, like, just sort of just, okay, I guess we're just going to uh, just kick the field goal, basically. They, they didn't, didn't get that. So they left a lot of points on the board on the other side, which, uh, you know, good for the Vikings to take advantage of that. Right, right. The Vikings deserve credit for taking advantage of it. I thought Jason Garrett made a few mistakes last week, and the Vikings did not let him get away with it either. And then, you know, it seemed like the Broncos were doing everything they could to make those mistakes. And here's the Vikings saying, okay, well, great, we'll throw a touchdown to Stephon Diggs if you guys aren't going to play a prevent-type defense to keep us in front of you. We'll throw to a wide-open Kyle Rudolph for a 32-yard touchdown. We'll take advantage of your foolish decision, like you said, to run the ball. And this is what I don't understand, Sage. This team throws a pass with a wide receiver early in the game, basically being like, 
we're three and six. Let's just do whatever. Let's throw like caution to the wind. You get to the end of the game, and here's head coaches always being head coaches, scared. Let's run the ball. Let's kick a long field goal, which I don't think these coaches understand field goal percentages. That field goal is only a seven and ten shot, which means you miss it pretty regularly, right? And boom, he misses it. Gives the Vikings perfect field goal position to go win. Why, if you're going to run there and get five yards, then why not just go for it at that point? It's fourth and two. You've been running on them. Your quarterback's a good athlete. You're playing pretty well. I mean, this is what ends up happening in my in my head a lot, Sage, with this game. Is It's very hard to talk about all the excellent things the Vikings did without also being like, wow, if I'm in Denver today, I'm losing my freaking mind on the radio. Well, and they've been losing this. They've been losing games like this all year. Yep. I mean, really, I think this is like the fourth game that is very similar to this. And one of my favorite sayings uh, in the NFL, I believe I heard it as a rookie, uh, was NFL games are really hard to win and really easy to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and this was one of those games where it's like, you know, we had it and we just it's it, it slipped through our hands so easily. Uh, because you know the other team uh, that you're playing against, there's you know full of a bunch of great athletes and great players, and, and if you give them an opening, good teams take advantage of it, and the Vikings did, and and a huge win. You know, looking back, man, that would have been a really really bad yes. loss for this football team as as they're marching here towards the playoffs. Look like we're, they're going to be a playoff team, but they lose that game yesterday. Packers are in a bye. They're eight and two. The Vikings have four losses, and the Packers have two. I don't think they're going to catch them in the NFC North, but now they're you know only uh, what I guess a half a game back. Is that how they call it when you're eight and three and eight yes, and two? Yes. They're half a game back. Yep, so half a game back. whatever that means, they have one more loss. I know that they got one more loss in the Packers, and and uh, they're right in the mix here. So huge win, and and uh, congrats off to them. Congrats to Kirk Cousins. Really, I mean, listen, I'm hard on him, and he's a hell of a lot better quarterback than I ever was. Uh, but uh, you know, he's done some things. I think that has deserved some of that. Some of that, uh, uh, you know, tough criticism by uh, uh, whether it's national media or local media, and and then there are occasionally those things like the the obvious offsides where you know an Aaron Rodgers just goes, you know, I'm going to go back here and buy time like it's a hell mary and throw the ball as deep as possible, and maybe we'll get a pass interference, maybe we'll get a completed pass if it's an interception. Who cares? We're going to get the ball back. It's going to be first and five, you know, back here. But he does those things like checking the ball down for you know a one yard gain of those things mm-hmm. that just sort of make you want to rip your hair out. You know, but uh, he's gotten a lot of criticism, and he came through with uh, flying colors yesterday. And the best thing about it was he didn't try to do too much. He was sort of slow and steady in that second half, and let's just keep pushing it and and uh, and keep executing and keep executing. And and he hit a lot of you know underneath routes, hit some deep ones too, but had a lot of those routes for you know seven to eight to nine to ten yards that just sort of kept the chains moving uh, and, and kept that uh, kept that line from having the pass block uh, you know too long, which is you know which is the hardest thing for them to do when it's you know third and nine, third and ten plus, that's really the weakness of this offense. I think with Kirk Cousins, one of the biggest aspects of him having a much better year than last year, aside from better weapons, and on the other side of the break, we'll get to Irv Smith and and what I wrote about him today, Um, but I think it's Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak finding solutions to when bad Kirk shows up, because the first half of that game is bad Kirk to a T. It's anxious in the pocket it's running himself into sacks it's being very conservative if cj ham gets a check down early in the game you're like uh oh like <laughs> you know this like, this isn't going to go too good cuz that's been sort of the earmark of you're going to lose this game with cousins today but at the same time in the second half of kansas city he looked that way early in the first half kevin stefanski dialed up some screens 
found some ways to get cheap and easy yards without Kirk having to do anything super special. And then in this game, they go into the two-minute offense a little earlier than maybe you would expect. And of course, it's because you're losing, but it seemed to get him into a rhythm. It seemed to also keep Denver's defense from getting after him because they got worn down and they were missing a guy that's a, a starter and plays a lot for them. And it seemed to slow things down. I'm sure there were some adjustments schematically as well that we can't look at until we see the tape uh, that Kevin Stefanski made. But it seemed that he found the like bad Kirk solution again. And that's the difference between going eight and eight with Kirk Cousins and nine and seven and ten and six and eleven and five is can you break him out of a first half funk and he ends up you look at his box score at the end of the game you'd think he was Joe Montana uh, but uh, you know in the second half they did such a great job of breaking him out of those issues that he had in the first they did they, they found completions and you know the, the, I tell you the Broncos did a really nice job of stopping the run and for the most part stopped the screens they did have I think Dalvin had a one pretty good about twenty yard screen there uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, but uh, you know they were really set on 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 shutting him down, uh, and of course that left all that man to man coverage on the outside. And, and Kirk did a great job. One of the biggest plays of the game, by the way, uh, third and fourteen. Uh, he hits Conklin, yes, uh, number yep. eighty three, on a sort of a, a crossing seam route and uh, in, into his in a window in, in the zone coverage, and that was a huge play in the game. And uh, and you know Kirk Kirk made those plays, and uh, you know it, when there's sort of these tipping points aspects of games and you know whether we make the play and and we win the game or they make the play and they win the game uh the vikings made those plays in the second half both offensively and of course on that final drive on those final three plays uh they made them defensively as well let's take a quick break i want to run by you what i wrote at our website scorenorth.com about irv smith and his importance to this offense being much better than it was last year. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, break it down yesterday's wild game. I'll also read some of the responses. Um, I put it out there. More excited from yesterday or more nervous about what happened in the first half? We'll continue the discussion when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Listen to Score North with Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, open Score North, and you'll hear the soothing sounds of Purple Daily, Mac and Judd with Rami, and much, much more. Just say, Alexa, open Score North. Mike Zimmer took to the podium today and was asked what he got out of the come-from-behind win by his Vikings yesterday and said he learned this. It tells you two things, really. If we wait to flip the switch... We're not going to win many of these games. But if we play like we can play and we use the competitiveness and the fight and the toughness and the intelligence that we mostly played with in the second half, we can win a lot of games. That's been your score on Donald. Now back to Purple Daily. You know, he's a, a guy that we can use, um, you know, sometimes as a receiver, sometimes a tight end. So, you, you know, you're not sure if you're going to get nickel or you're going to get the base defense when when him and Kyle are in there, in there together. So we can exploit those two areas by, you know, either running against little guys or throwing against big guys. So, you know, I think that having a weapon like him uh, has been really good. 
That was Mike Zimmer talking about Irv Smith. You go to scorenorth.com at this very moment. You can see my article, Irv Smith Jr. is a game changer for the Vikings. Matthew Collar, former NFL quarterback and journeyman correspondent, Sage Rosenfels with us. By the way, Brandon Allen, journeyman potential there, right? I mean, he's not going to be the long-term quarterback in Denver. He's going to play for eight teams. He's going to be a backup for a long time. He's going to start for people. I, I really like his potential there, Sage. I I did I I like his arm strength. Uh, he he threw some wild ones, but you know obviously he's a very he's like a raw player. I think he's a guy you can definitely. There's a lot to work with there, uh, and we'll see how he uh, uh, improves over time. But you know when he ran like ran a couple of times, I didn't realize how good of an athlete he is. I yeah, mean, he's a he's he's not uh, is it Josh Allen? The other well, there's three Allens now starting. Is there Kyle Allen, Brandon Allen, and Josh Allen? Correct. Right? Yeah. Uh, so Josh Allen, the, the Buffalo quarterback, he's not him, but he's so. Actually, I would say I call him a poor man's Josh Allen. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't. Uh, Josh Allen has a big arm, a little wild also, uh, but a really, really good athlete. And, and this Brandon Allen kid seemed to be that way too. I tell you, what, anytime you can, you know, be a quarterback in the NFL, be a young guy with little to no experience, and to get a twenty nothing lead on the road. Uh, of course, even though he didn't finish it off and he didn't play as well in the second half, just to do that sort of proves that hey, this guy can play in the NFL. And uh, you know, we'll see how uh, his career goes. But yeah, very well could be a long-term journeyman uh, quarterback and maybe in you know 15 years we're talking about him or something like Manny that. Manny so. was talking about like a Josh McCown comparison and I kind of loved it. Like somebody who is going to take the risks when they get in there, is not afraid to go down the field and a really really good athlete can run a little bit. I liked it. I don't you know, he also he also a few times and you know that interception I'm you know he's going to have nightmares about that yep. and I've you know we all have those plays and it's like oh why would I throw that ball and and so much of that stuff is when you're young there's so many things going on and you're thinking about the coverage and the the play and the concept and what's my read and the the, the blitzes and you're thinking about all these things and not as much thinking about what's going on here in the game. Where are we? What's right. the game situation? And that's just one of those sort of young type of things. But he threw the ball away a lot too, which I liked. Uh, you know, maybe sometimes even almost too quick. But when the when it wasn't there, uh, I think they had like a play action deal, and they had I think fans in the flat, and, and he was fully covered. Uh, and he just threw the ball right at his feet. And I like that. Like, don't even make it close. Don't even make it a situation where uh, the ball can get batted or something and, and uh, you know, get or, or popped up and intercepted. He threw the ball right at his feet, threw the ball at the back of the end zone, threw the ball away on the side. Those are veteran-type moves. And so, yeah, he, I think he uh, he proved yesterday he's going to be in the NFL for a while. I'd be very surprised if he's not. I look forward to him playing with the London Jaguars in 2028. It'll be exciting. Um, Sage, let me, let's talk about Irv Smith. When the Vikings drafted him, we talked about, okay, perfect world scenario. Irv Smith can play right away, and then the Vikings can run a bunch of two tight ends that, as Mike Zimmer explained, puts teams in a bind because they have to decide, are we going to put a nickel in? Are we going to use an extra linebacker? Most teams don't have one good linebacker, much less three to have on the field all the time. And yesterday, he played his highest snap count ever uh, in his career, 74% of the snaps. He catches a key touchdown on a very nice route where he gets open, makes the play in the end zone. 
And I have seen steady progression from him from week to week to week. And when Adam Thielen goes out, we said, okay, who's going to step up? Will it be B.C. Johnson? And it has been to some extent. But it's also been Irv Smith who's become a huge part of this offense. And this is it going according to plan. This is the dream scenario for them. And I'm ready to say, Sage, that Irv Smith is a really, really good draft pick. Probably the best at this moment, the best tight end that was picked out of the three so far, Hawkinson. Fant and Irv Smith and he's been a massive part of this success over the last six weeks or so for Kirk Cousins. He's been huge and you know I'm not sure if you want to get into a deep dive of personnel groups and why the two tight end personnel group I mean, is so important. Do you want to get into well, that right now? Because I, we can't. I'm not against it. Go well, ahead. Well, let's let's just start off with this. All right, your base personnel: you have two receivers, you have one tight end, a fullback, and a tailback. That's when you know Ham's in the game. All right, the next uh, personnel group in, in this offense they would probably call it Tiger, uh, but they might call it something else. But basically, it's two tight end. A fullback comes out of the game, and in comes Irv Smith, that number two tight end. So now you got two tight ends, two receivers, uh, and uh, and one running back. Now, then, then the other aspect would be to take Irv out. Of the game and putting that third wide receiver right that's they call that probably zebra personnel uh in this uh, in this offense and so you sort of have those three main personnel groups for the most part the advantage of having the two tight end set that tiger personnel uh is that in the running game on those inside or outside zones you get a nice double team uh with with both of your tackles whether you run left whether you run right the defense a lot of times sort of lines up in some sort of balanced front because everything is sort of two two guys on each side and and sometimes it makes uh for a quarterback a little bit simpler but you get that double team uh with that tackle on the outside runs you can also do play action Yep. Uh, uh, and, and those types of things, which, of course, you only can do it with one of the tight ends uh, when you have the three wide receiver set, right? Uh, that one tight end has to be the blocker that stays in on play action. Uh, but when you have two, you can play action either way. You can bootleg either way, you know, you know, types of things like that. So when you get the two tight ends and you can get one of them or even both, but really one to be sort of almost a mixed tight end receiver uh, that can block decent uh, but really be more of a threat in the passing game, that's big. Shane, that's a Shannon Sharp voice. He wasn't a good blocker at all, but he was. He could sort of be the backside cut off or get a little help. They wouldn't have more pass protection, but they, but, they, but he would. Uh, but he was such a threat in the passing game, almost like a third wide receiver. That's where the fullback can't really give you that. Right, so when you take the fullback out uh, and you still want to run the football, you can still do it with that two tight end set. So it's a very, very valuable position because in the running game it helps the tackles. You can do play action off at both sides. You can do bootlegs off at both sides. And then if you have a guy like Irv uh, and Rudy on the other side, who's definitely keeping teams off, by the way, and had a very good, uh, huge game yeah. uh, yesterday. Uh, but when you have a guy who, like like who's young who can come in and can, and can block well, and he can be a pretty good threat in this passing game. That is absolutely huge for this offense, and and uh, you know the Vikings got to be really really happy uh, with that tight end position right now. So some impressive numbers. Uh, he ranks 16th out of 47 tight ends by Pro Football Focus just overall, and 12th in run blocking. And, and that's something that I did not expect from Irv Smith right away is to be able to master the run blocking, and he's actually tied with. Uh, Rhett Ellison, former Viking for uh, PFF rankings in just pure run blocking. That is surprising to me. Usually tight ends aren't able to do that. Another thing, too, Sage, is when... Well, the- can I add to that, by the way, real sure, quick? Sure, go ahead, yeah. 
I will say this. Not all college coaching is the same. Yeah. You have a guy who plays at Iowa, a tight end or an offensive lineman. They're going to be coached sort of like an NFL player. So you're going to have like four years of NFL style coaching when they show up. That, that's huge. Some, you know, these guys playing the spread, you know, they, they have no idea. They've never blocked anybody in their lives. You don't understand footwork and all these things. Right. Well, he's playing in Alabama. And I promise you at Alabama, if you're going to be the starting tight end, I don't care how athletic you are, you're going to block. Right. You're going to play, be tough. And, you know, there's a history there. If they really, you know, the, the guys come out of there a lot of times beat up a little bit too much because Saban runs those guys so hard and, and right. the practice are so physical. So physicality was not a big, like, you know, the, the want to, the want to get physical uh, and to get in there and to get nasty. And, and uh, he does that. And I, I'm fairly sure he had to do that at, uh, you know, at Alabama for the last three or four years before the Vikings drafted him. Another stat, too, to your point about the advantages of using these bigger personnels is that Kirk Cousins has a 124.2 quarterback rating when they have 22 personnel, which is two tight ends and two uh, running backs in the backfield, and 113.8 with three tight ends on the field, which we saw Tyler Conklin make a big play yesterday, too. And the Vikings are using 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, less than any other team in the NFL. And one of my friends at Pro Football Focus, Eric E brought up a great point, Sage, today, which is when you're a team that offensively does something that nobody else does, it just offers a different challenge for opposing teams. And I think that San Francisco is the same way with using the extra tight ends, using Kyle Juszczyk, their fullback, that you look at every other team, and they kind of similar, like 60 or 70% of three wide receivers, and then you go to play the Vikings, and it's something wildly different, and you just have to change how you fundamentally play defense. I think that's a big advantage. I think the same thing goes for the Ravens. When you go to play them with Lamar Jackson, Greg Roman, it's something that you only see once a year. And and that's helping the Vikings a lot. I, I absolutely and, and you know the Philadelphia Eagles two years ago won the Super Bowl and they played three tight ends a lot. They played two a ton, but they would play with three tight end in sets. And and when I, when the Vikings have the three tight ends on the field, and they're having success, to me they're basically saying we can dictate this game. We are sort of going to control this game and dictate how this thing goes because we can just line up and just run the football. And if you guys get overly aggressive and trying to stop that run, we can have any any of these three tight ends uh, and a receiver, Stephon Diggs, who's one of the best players in the league, uh, you know, out in the passing game. You know, sort of good luck with that if you can't stop us on the run and some of those types of things. When you go to the three wide receiver sets or four wide receiver sets, it, it just it's almost impossible to consistently just you can't just run the football because they just can put. Or guys in the box, but when when they can fill up that box and you can still have success, and if you got three good tight ends in the passing game, you can dictate that football. And Baltimore with their running thing, you know, they ran for about two fifty yesterday. The way they run the football, you're dictating, you know, the the, the style of that how that football game is going to go. You dictate what defenses they have to be in with the running quarterback, all those types of things. It's a really big advantage, and it's not, you know, a lot of times you're not going to throw up five hundred yards of offense like you do in three wide receiver sets. But I think the quality of those yards. Uh, and, 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 again, how you can sort of dictate that game. And on third and shorts, you feel good about it. On second and shorts, we're going to run the football, and we're going to cover people up and get some movement. And, and yet, you know, you can still make those plays in the passing game. So that, that is a great personnel group for this Vikings offense. Yep, and a home run draft pick, I think. This is everything that they dreamed of. And I remember Kyle Rudolph 
getting a little bit upset when they made the pick. And, of course, you know, on Twitter he says, oh, I love the pick. But there was another tweet or two that he sent in response to other people where he said, they've been trying to replace me and things like that. Like, no, that, is, that su- is that subtweeting? What is um, that? Is that the- well, okay, so <laughs> What's no. The so no. him tweeting, you know, congratulations on Irv Smith getting picked would more of just be, I'm not sure that's how you really feel inside, Kyle, um, but that would more of be like a PR type of statement to be like, I'm very happy about us drafting another tight end um, when maybe you're not. And I'm not inside well, his know, head, I, but I, eh, I don't I, think he I, really I, was. because when He got he a res- contract extension, though, didn't he? Th- th- well, now, then that might have changed the game for him. <laughs> but uh, the initial feeling, I think, was they're trying to replace me because he tw- he responded to someone else with that. Like well, they've been I, trying to replace me for years. Um, but, you know, in this situation, they're doing different things, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. Like where Kyle has been great in the red zone once again against Dallas, makes a big play yesterday, and his time has had to come. Like where early in the season, maybe he wasn't a main target. It's just that, you know, when they drafted him, it wasn't clear what Irv Smith's role was going to be. Is he going to play with Rudolph? Is he going to replace Rudolph? Are they going to trade Rudolph? Who knows? This was the best case scenario for everyone. And with Irv, it's just worked out perfectly well for them, I think. Well, and traditionally, when you talk about you're starting tight end, and Kyle's been that guy, you have one starting tight end. Right. But again, right. in this offense, you can really have two starting tight ends. Yes. I mean, uh, it's such a, an important aspect of the game, so you have to have two. And if you don't have two, uh, there's just only so many things you can do. If that second guy is just more of a run blocker, you know, that that, that was always the issue with, like, Jim Kleinsaucer. You know, he was not a down-the-field threat, but, man, he was such a good blocker. Yep. And you could put him at fullback. You could put him at basically tackle and just say, hey, you're going to block the defense and end by yourself. Right. And we're, that's just the way it's going to be. So we're going to simplify this protection and yada, yada. He was so strong. He could do that. But no, he was not a threat down the field per se, right? So uh, having that second tight end is so important. And, and uh, you know, if you look at the numbers together, uh, I, I believe projected Rudy uh, and uh, and Irv Smith are going to have about 80 catches this year. And I think that's pretty good production out of your tight end room. And, and uh, you know, neither one of those guys is going to have a monster year of 60 or 65 catches or 70 catches like some of these tight ends. But together as a collective group, uh, they're in a very effect- that's a very effective room right now. Yeah, it's worked out extremely well for them and is one of the biggest differences between last year and this year, aside from scheme, is just players and talent. Um, drafting the first four players on offense, three of them have been uh, significant parts of the offense, and then another one in the seventh round, too, in B.C. Johnson. Um, all right, for the last few minutes here, I want to do what we usually do on a Monday, Sage, which is go over some of the potential overreactions, and uh, I've appreciated the responses. A lot of people are saying both scared of what happened in the first and happy about what happened in the second, um, but... The main thing that keeps coming up is the pass defense. So uh, the overreaction here, Sage, would be to say, good for the Vikings, good for their offensive numbers, but they're not going to be able to win in the playoffs with this current coverage unit. If Mike Zimmer does not improve how they're playing pass defense, they cannot win in the postseason. Is that an overreaction or no? Uh, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. I'll tell you that. If they're, you know, the completion, the the opposing quarterback uh, rate or whatever QBR or whatever is, you know, in the nineties, it seems like every game. Our teams have good games against them. Obviously, Dak Prescott, which is a a monster game last week, uh, but they played good enough to win. They did do something different this game. I don't believe, from what I've noticed throughout the year, that you know Rhodes and Waynes were following guys, uh, and it seemed like. 
they liked they just sort of matchup football this time and yep. and Rhodes was on Sutton right and then Waynes was on Patrick uh, that seemed to be the case and I hadn't seen that as much this year so maybe they're trying to figure out more of a matchup thing rather than just left and right right uh, but you know yeah this past defense has to play better and and uh, you know they're not going to find better players let lower you know parts of that roster these are the guys they have to play better or they have to try to design different coverages and do stuff different either way I mean corners have to cover that's what they do and and when your corners are struggling, uh, it is hard to get to uh, uh, deep in the playoffs in the NFL. I think especially since the offenses that they're likely to face in the postseason uh, are all good, and it's all good quarterbacks. I'm not sure exactly yet how great Jimmy Garoppolo is, but I know Dak Prescott is good. I know Aaron Rodgers is good. I know that Drew Brees is really good, and I know that Russell Wilson is the MVP. So if these are the teams that you're likely to face, Good luck if you can't improve the way these corners are playing down the stretch, and I'm not really sure what the solution is. So I don't, well, I don't think it's a massive overreaction to be worried about what happened yesterday. Oh no, I, I think it's you know fair to have concerns about the secondary, and and I will say I, I thought the defensive line played very well in this football game. Obviously not great in the first half and uh, whatever, but uh, you know I thought the guys and Jaleel Johnson made some nice plays in this football game. A lot of times they say if you're if you're secondary struggling tell you what that d-line has to pick it up and make their jobs easier so you know sometimes that is the answer of trying to get other guys to play better which then of course has an effect on how long the quarterback can hold the football okay another potential overreaction the centerpiece of the vikings offense was thought to be delvin cook but it's stefan diggs is who it is and when you don't throw to stefan diggs you're going to lose and when you throw to him down the field you're going to win like they did yesterday overreaction to slide that that label of being the centerpiece of the vikings offense from delvin to stefan diggs um well the number one thing is the vikings want to do is run the football that's dalvin the other thing to do is play action which is first fake it to dalvin and the other thing is throw screens which is throw it to dalvin so i think dalvin's the center of the offense okay fair enough let me give you this stat though when kirk cousins is throwing to stefan Diggs this year he has a 121.6 quarterback rating which is the sixth highest of any quarterback receiver combination in the entire nfl the only ones that are higher surprisingly court uh, Cortland Sutton is on this list, uh, but Tyler Lockett, Amari Cooper, Cortland Sutton, Marvin Jones Jr., and Michael Thomas, the only guys registering higher ratings than Stephon Diggs. And here's why I would say it is Diggs and, and not Delvin. As much as everything starts with the run, and I agree with you, but when a guy can average 15 yards or so per target, not even per reception, and per reception, he's almost at 20 yards Per play that goes in his direction. By the way, isn't that, that, isn't that crazy? It is absolutely. He, he was nuts. at 10.0 last year. Yes, and it's absolutely. Nuts. I mean, that cra- same player, same quarterback, basically the same offensive line. Right. Uh, the difference in how offenses can uh, have an effect on, on quarterbacks and receivers and running backs numbers. It's it's just amazing. I'm doing the calculation here on the yards per target. 14 yards per target. So when he even just decides to throw in Diggs's direction, you're getting more than a first down. And to win in the NFL, I think you have to have the explosive plays. And that's where they're coming from for the most part, uh, even though those explosive plays often start with Delvin Cook. So it's kind of... A combination of the two, but now how about this for? Uh, well, by the way, there, by the way, there is no doubt. Uh, Stephon Diggs is an incredible football player, and when I watch his routes and he runs, you know, the way he can just run past people, it's almost like DBs don't realize quite how fast he is. He just ran right past the guy the other day in a straight go route. Uh, but on that post route, he ran for the touchdown. He is the you know, there's he's the backside option that he got the over route. 
uh, which is about a 12-yard route, and, and I think it was Irv Smith that was on that, and the safety came up uh, to sort of double that over route just, just a little bit, and Diggs is that backside post. And when he runs post routes, he doesn't, a lot of times you see a guy sort of, they would say, stick their foot in the ground as they almost have this almost little move at the top, and uh, it sort of shoots them into the post. He just sort of runs to the post. Hmm, yeah. And I always think, like, man, it, I think it would be better if he'd stuck it. Then I realize he just ends up just outrunning guys all the time. Like, he really does. Uh, you know, have just that outrun you type of speed, and guys can't keep up with it. And uh, and he, yeah, I mean, you know, if he gets past you, there's not many DBs that can catch him. So that was a huge play the other day. And and but yet, you know, was he the center of that play? No, he was the fourth. I don't. Unless that safety had been getting really nosy all game, like okay, we're if he's nosy at all, we're going to go backside post to Stefan. But you know, he really was like the fourth guy on that play. Um, and uh, and so, you know, he wasn't the center of it, but he obviously, with his speed and with, with Cousins' accuracy uh, recently on the deep stuff, uh, you know, he's he, he's a threat. And, and uh, you know, that, that's a great job of, of Kirk Cousins just sort of going through his reads and, you know, taking what the defense gave him in that situation, uh, gave him the deep post. Yeah, uh, I think part of that is that he is so good at hitching it up if he wants to with those go routes that corners can't really sell out on either one of them, on the go route or the hitch. Because in the past, when he's run the deep hitch or the deep dig route, it's like he's wide open on those. So they have to kind of bite or or at least be ready to bite on, on those, and then he just runs right by them. So well, I, think, I think that, that makes great, him look faster. Yeah, he's got that great vertical speed, down-the-field speed. He has sort of you know Chad Ochocinco-type feet along the sidelines. He's extremely quick. You know The underneath stuff, he's really good. Uh, once he catches the ball, it seems like he then separates from the, the DB that was covering him. So uh, tremendous wide receiver, and obviously with Adam Thielen's injury the last few weeks, uh, he, he needed to step up, and the Vikings needed to get him the ball. Uh, and they've done a pretty good job of that. Okay, last potential overreaction would be to say there is just something special about this team, that they can overcome things, they ran into some adversity early in the season, some of which was caused by Stephon Diggs, but then yesterday he's shown on the big board, he's shadow boxing and pumping up the crowd and pumping up people on the sideline, and he's sort of the uh, yin to the yang of Kirk Cousins, who's very you know sort of buttoned up and not natural at being that kind of thing. Um, is there something special potentially with this team, or would that be an overreaction to a very fun game yesterday? Well, I think games like that, you know, build a team. And you know, Mike Shashesky, the Duke basketball coach, he used to have this phrase: "As a season is like a lifetime, and uh, you know, it's this long sort of process of ups and downs, and 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 tough losses, and big wins, and all that becomes the sort of chemistry that builds throughout the season, and how mm-hmm. players handle it, how coaches handle it, how the leaders." You know, handle it, and and uh, you know to have a game like that where they were down, uh, did not look good. Offense had forty-seven yards of offense in the first half, and for them to come back, this is not something we've seen uh, in a really, really long time. And and obviously by this offense, by this quarterback in the last two years, so that I imagine will give them great confidence. So in the future, if they're having a tough half or a tough quarter, and they've gone. Uh, you know, two, three series with little to no production that they can catch fire and they can score three touchdowns in a quarter and, and work their way because they just execute because they didn't really do anything special 
that's the thing is it's not like they you know just made some crazy great plays and did anything special. They really just did a great job of executing and and the line gave them time and and uh, and Kirk hit the guys you know guys uh, you know deep down the field and they made some big plays. But uh, they really just executed in that second half and to know you can do that against a good defense uh, has to be pretty reassuring and that may you know really propel them further down the season. Yeah, and and to add on to what you said about you know the season being a lifetime and things like that, I remember Kevin Arnovitz who writes for ESPN on. Zach Lowe's podcast talked about um, culture and teams that can overcome things and things like that. And he was talking about the Spurs and he said, it really comes down to your culture is kind of uh, your best players a lot of times. And in this case, your best players are Delvin Cook and Stephon Diggs and your quarterback and so forth. And they made plays when they needed to make plays. And even Delvin Cook comes up with a, you know a good play in the passing game where he gets tackled by his hair, unfortunately. Um, but you know, the, Stephon Diggs coming up big in these big games has been a thing we've seen for a long time, even before the Minneapolis miracle. And a lot of times, it's like, how well do you overcome adversity? A lot of times, it's does your quarterback step up? Do your playmakers make plays? And then we write the narrative after. And yesterday was a little bit of that case. They did, and, and you know, I said you know that, that third and fourteen, third and fourteen, that was a huge play uh, in that football game. You know, the quarterback stepped up, the line stepped up, gave him time, and and they made it happen. And, and that was a, that was a big drive for them. So, you, by the way, you got to be happy with this rookie class. You know, BC oh, Johnson with a nice absolutely. game, uh, the you know yesterday also, uh, and so it, it's uh, yeah, Madison. I just wish Madison get the ball more, but that means Dalvin Cook's not getting the ball. So I'm extremely excited about his future and the way he plays. You know, every time he goes in the football game, so uh, this quarterback uh, has has some weapons, and he has some guys that make his life a little bit easier. And and uh, and, and you know, the O line has to do their job. And and you know, Bradbury he struggled to look like a little bit yesterday, both in the run and some pass protection. So that is the one spot that uh, I think we we're hoping for for better results. Uh, but you know, he's a young guy, and we'll see how he progresses. You know, because really, no, at this point, no one's a rookie. That's sort of a a phrase they use. You get two or three months into the season, you get to November, there mm-hmm. are no rookies anymore. We, We've been doing this for a long time, and including you know four preseason games, and so you know these guys are veterans, and and uh, some of these guys are are playing like uh, you know four or five, six year veterans. All right, Sage, I am off on Wednesday, so I will talk to you next Monday, and uh, we'll have some fun then. Thanks for your time. Sounds great. Sage Rosenfels, our journeyman quarterback correspondent, of course, former Vikings quarterback. Judd Zolgad is going to come in next, and we're going to rank where does that game yesterday land in the Mike Zimmer era for fun and entertainment value and just generally overall wild and crazy football games. I ranked the ones that I've covered since I've been here in 2016. Zolgad's got his list. Jonathan has his list. We will go over them when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Exciting game, obviously. It's nice to uh, come back. Showed a lot of heart, showed a lot of guts. Showed a lot of courage. You know, obviously we didn't play very well in the first half. We had uh, penalties, fumbles, um, big gave up big plays. Um, just just did not play very well. And then, uh, but we came together. We fought pretty darn good in the second half, and uh, we made just enough plays to win. Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer there. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad jumping in here. Jonathan Harrison is producing. 
And I want to start right with our lists. Our lists we decided to make are of the wildest, most compelling games of the Mike Zimmer era. And I'm only doing 2016 through present because that's when I got here and started covering the team. Uh So uh, Blair Walsh's shank would not be in play for me. I wasn't here yet. I figured I would just go with ones where I was actually there and engaged with. Um, Unless you wanted to mention the game where... Kyle Orton beat the Vikings uh, in 2014 because I was covering that game. Mackey and I did vent line from that one. After that one, that was super fun. What a glorious game that was! (laughs) That's right, Chad Greenway not getting back far enough uh, to stop Scott (laughs) Chandler. Um, Okay, so who wants to go first here? You want to go first, Judd? Uh, Sure. With your list, do we want NFL music behind this? I see no reason not to. I think this is very, very listicle like, and so therefore we can have NFL films music. Compelling games in the Mike Zimmer era. All right. Number five, January 3rd, 2016, which of course goes uh, reverts to the 2015 season. The Vikings NFC North Division title was won in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. Season finale, Teddy a quarterback. It looked like an era had begun, right? An mm-hmm. era was underway, and of course that didn't turn out to be the case. But huge win, very compelling game. Number four. What about that? I remember uh, Teddy didn't play particularly well. Yeah, they, was it a close game? It was a close game, and, and I believe that they were. So the division title went down to that game. If I'm not mistaken, it was a Sunday night game on January 3rd. And that game was. But the significance of that game to me was that was going to be the first step of Zim's Vikings exactly as he saw it, which was Teddy a QB for a long, long time, right? And so that, that was the first step. From him taking over Mike in 2014, going seven and nine, and everybody said, "Oh, that's great! You won seven games, bad team." But this was a corner turned. And okay, to so me, you're that, involving to me that game, yes, too. yes, okay. yes, compelling games, big stakes. Mm, All right, stakes. number four on my list, Homer Simpson, <laughs> would would be October 23rd, 2016, at the Lincoln Philadelphia. That was the Vikings team that went in five and one out of a bye, or five and zero oh out of a bye. They went into Philadelphia, and you thought, "Oh, this team could be six and zero. Oh. oh, this team is headed to the playoffs for this sure." This is a bizarre choice. Oh, this, this is was a terrible football game. It was a terrible football game, but the game itself. Why are you picking bad football games? Well, no, hold this? on a second. The Packers game was not a bad football game, but you ask me what stands out. Zimmer's games that stand out, and these are the games that to me stand out. You can have your five. Wow, I am taking the rules and applying this them is to a the very bizarre twist, but. To the, to the Zolgadian way. Exactly right. So don't don't say it's not. It's surprising coming from me. It was a 21-10 loss. It was not a good football game. But that was the game where afterwards Zimmer melted down. He's 5-1. and one. How does that not stand out? You're 5-1, and one, and dude, you lost a game. That's too bad. And he said we played soft, which is the worst thing that you can say about a group of football players. See, I'm not saying it's not uh, compelling from what it meant to that season, which it's, is how you seem to have took it. Yes. I, I'm only thinking as a standalone football game, but that's how I did mine. So Okay, well, I did it slightly different. Okay, that's fine. Keep going. Number three. That was the Jake Long game, when Jake Long yes. first appeared as a Viking very briefly. Yes. Number three on my list, because I did include playoff games. Number three would be, yes, the Seattle playoff game, the Blair Walsh game. The game that Teddy basically led the Vikings down the field. A freezing cold day at TCF Bank Stadium. A game that I wouldn't say was a great football game, but it was incredibly close. And Blake Walsh lines up for the 27-yard field goal, and you say to yourself, they're going to Arizona. 
This is unbelievable. And then some little thing in the back of your head says, oh, hold on a second. It's a field goal attempt from a guy who's not exactly the most reliable or, let's say, headstrong guy. He misses. And everything goes kaboom. That's number three. Number two would be yesterday. You don't come back. What What was the stat? Last five years, teams that were down by 20 or more at halftime were 0-99. and 99. Yeah. Nobody had won. And the Vikings do. Again, yesterday, a fun game to watch. Not a great game. But that game will stand out for years as, how the hell did they come back? And then, obviously, the top one, not a surprise, the Stefan Diggs catch against the Saints, which yeah. has to be number one because yep. it's probably one of... I would say that if you were to do the top five games in Vikings history, it probably makes that top yep, five. Yep, and it wasn't just because of one play. The second no. half was great. Drew Brees is playing amazing Everything. football. But that was an incredible football yeah, game. It was. Yesterday was not. Yesterday was interesting and head-scratching and actually at times absolutely brutal, mm-hmm. which made it fun to me. But that game, it's the Saints game, was an incredible football game. Right. Yesterday had a lot of mistakes, fumbles, penalties, interceptions, that one was a really well-played game versus two great teams that ended on a crazy play. Yesterday is, was poorly coached, poorly played. By both teams in I, a lot of ways. There was yep. a lot of things about that. That was an instructional film on what not to do yesterday. All right, Jonathan, your five. I assume you took this as just best games. I took it a little bit, yeah. Uh, okay. I had a couple of you be you, Jonathan. You be you. different ways of picking games. I'm going to start and end with New Orleans Saints games. My Number five, New Orleans Saints-Vikings week one of the 2017 season. Oh, okay. When we saw Sam Bradford come out and throw for nearly 400 yards, and we're all just like, whoa, is this going to be the offense for the season? Is this going to be the Sam Bradford we'd get a C for the entire season? No, it wasn't. But it was still a really fun game to watch that offense play. And you also saw the potential of Delvin Cook there, yep. which has finally been realized now. But that was a 100-yard game for him in his first ever game. The Vikings got the ball... Uh, with a chance for New Orleans to still be alive, and they just ran the clock out with Delvin Cook. It was really impressive. So I, I could see that one. That was probably really fun for Vikings fans. Uh, number four on my list is the game that Judd started with, uh, the division on the line against Green Bay. You're in Green Bay. It's on Sunday Night Football. It's the last game of the entire NFL season, and it all comes down to the final drive when you give Aaron Rodgers a minute left to go, and usually that's where he succeeds And you end up holding him off and winning the NFC North on that drive. That was a fun one. Good pick. Uh, number three would be another Vikings-Packers game, and it's the tie from last year where you come back mm-hmm. and you end up tying the game, which as a soccer fan, I like ties, which is weird <laughs> to see in football. But yeah, and you thought my list o- was weird. <laughs> but I'm okay with a tie. It was just a fun one to see that offense and Kirk Cousins come back. The down, draw. Down 22-7, to seven, they come a back. A fun draw. Game. Uh, last year, 2018, again, Vikings-Rams. It was a loss for the Vikings, but you saw nearly 900 yards passing, eight touchdowns. It was just a shootout. And, it, again, it wasn't the best defensive game, but it was really fun watching two offenses just go at it. So I had the Packers tie and the Rams loss on my list. So I'll give you the rest. I made just the games that I've covered since the beginning of 2016 that were the most compelling to me. I'll give you the rest that, that I had. Obviously, uh, the Minneapolis Miracle is... Yeah, that's number one. Num- uh, yeah, we don't even have to talk about nope. anything else in the Zimmer era as far as being number one. The loss to Detroit in 2016 
the first catch ever by uh, Laquan Treadwell in that game. But that was when Pat Shermer took over as the offensive coordinator, and the offense looked uh, more conducive. They ran a sweep to Rhett Ellison for a potential game-winning touchdown, but Mike Zimmer slightly mismanaged the clock, allowing Matt Stafford to complete a long pass. Matt Prater to kick a field goal from the parking lot, and then Golden Tate to do the impossible and shred a Harrison Smith tackle Mm -hmm. to go into the end zone. That game was well-played and totally bananas. Mm -hmm. And and Detroit was good that year. They went 9-7 and that season, so they were a good team. It wasn't like, who cares, Detroit? That was a great game, even though they lost. I'll put yesterday on my list as well. uh, One of the few times where you're leaning forward in the seat at the end of a game, Comes down to the final play. Here we go. How often does that ever happen in the NFL where it's legit at the end zone with the ball? Are you going to win or not? And, you know, obviously Denver did not. Thursday night football 2016 against Dallas. A 17-15 to loss for the Vikings. Color rush game. Mike Prefer is the head coach that game because Mike Zimmer had to have emergency eye surgery. Yep. And... Uh, They go down, they score. Sam Bradford was great in that game, even though they didn't score a ton of points. He goes down, he scores. It's a Jarek McKinnon lining up in the slot, touchdown throw. Jeremiah Searles, our buddy who comes on the show sometimes, jumps offside, moves them back. Sam Bradford gets hit in the face, which should have been a penalty against Dallas, throws the ball away. Vikings lose 17-15, to but that was another one that came down to the very last moment. And I'll give you another one, too, that was fun and had some drama, even though it might not have been always the, the most beautiful football game, but certainly memorable. Last year, in Philadelphia, a 23-21 to win in Philly, where Linval Joseph takes a fumble all the way back, 70-something yards for a touchdown, You'll never see that again in your life. And puts on glasses <laughs> right. and oxygen and that doesn't oxygen work. Mask, which is now tattooed on his body. He got a tattoo. Good for of, him. I, I mean, I would do the same. I hope he's back to uh, in, in the next game. They need him. Uh, one other one that is worth note to me that was super compelling, even though it wasn't like a great football game necessarily, was the Vikings at Soldier Field... Uh, Call it the Michael Floyd game when he made his return and caught one pass for 10 yards or something. But the turning point of the 2017 season was a 20-17 to win by the Vikings over the Chicago Bears. Harrison Smith gets the interception at the end of that game. Uh, Sam Bradford starts it. Case should never have been on the field. Case Keenum comes in. Jarek McKinnon has a long touchdown run in that game. That team was 2-2, correct? It was, and it looked like... After a loss to the Lions, you lose Delvin Cook to an ACL injury that, boy, this is a season on the brink right here. Mm -hmm. And if they lose that game to a rookie, Mitch Trubisky, who was making his first start and now we've discovered is very bad at football, um, that might have turned them the opposite way. The next week, Rodgers gets hurt, and then they're kind of off to the races through the rest of that season. But that was a very compelling and on-the-edge type of football game. Yeah, it was a good game. So there we have it. All right, now, let me ask you this question. I'll read some some tweets from people. Uh, I put it out there in the first hour. Um, Is this more concerning or exciting yesterday? Is it exciting that they can come back from down 20 and do something that very few teams have ever done? Or is it scary that they got down 20 to a bad football team? And uh, from Vikings Nation, uh, more concerned about the defense Zimmer's playing a lot of uh, man defense like uh, they were yesterday, and yep. you're seeing Rhodes continue to get burned. And as we wake up today, Xavier Rhodes ranks 
uh, still in the bottom 10 by pro football focus in the entire NFL yeah. for corners. Uh, Andrew Kramer had the great stat that the Vikings are 25th in terms of giving up 20-yard passes or more. I, I think that's a good argument that, okay, you won, and that's great, and wow, did Kirk play great in the second half of that game. You're always going to get good good Kirk, bad Kirk sometimes. But if you can't defend the pass when you face Wilson, Rivers, Rodgers down the stretch, mm-hmm. and you go into the playoffs and look at the NFC quarterbacks, they're all good, that's going to be a problem. You are, yes. And, and so, and I, I talked about this today on Ventline, and here's my feeling, because you can't, Scheme-wise, I don't know. You can make adjustments, I guess. But I was trying to articulate today, what can you do here now? Because you can't trade. There's going to be nobody placed on the wire who you're going to pick up. Here's my starting point. Mike Hughes gets thrown at a lot. I I believe the statistic in Dallas was, what, 17 times, correct, that he was picked on by Dak Prescott. And he's a young player, and he's certainly not perfect. But if you were to ask me, would I rather take my chances with Mike Hughes potentially? I've got to roll the dice here and him developing on a game by game basis and getting more comfortable and gaining experience and improving or continue to be stubborn and put Xavier Rhodes out there consistently. And Matthew, I told you this yesterday, sitting in the press box, I'm like, I'm just going to watch him like there's something wrong here. But on TV, you see him get burned. And that's basically it. I watched him. He can't run. There's, there's either something wrong with his hamstring or his legs are just shot. I don't know. I have no clue. But during the bye week, I think you have to come up with a plan to put your pride in your back pocket. And as much as you might love Rhodes like your own son, he's got to play less. And Mike Hughes has to play more. And if you're wrong on Mike, okay, you're wrong. But there's a chance he can develop. There's a chance he's got... There's nothing that Xavier Rhodes is going to come back and do unless he is hurt right now and magically heals in a week. There's nothing he's going to do starting in Seattle that's going to change here. Mike Hughes might actually develop. Holton Hill can play. The other thing I threw out is, is there a way that you can come up with a package to go back to what you did in about the first quarter of this season that involves also J. Ron Kersmore? Yeah. So let's say it's Harris, Sandejo... Or, or if, if Smith's hamstring is fine, which would be ideal and necessary. But let's say Harrison Smith's playing, Harris is playing. Can you involve Curse in a big nickel or dime package that basically allows you to throw different looks and different philosophies? Because this Xavier Rhodes is just going to play idea isn't working, and it's not going to, to work. And to go down the list of quarterbacks that you just gave me, if you present those quarterbacks with this current pass defensive setup, you're going to get torched. It's not going to work, and a, and good teams are going to beat you. Denver is not a good team. Nice win, but if you do this against Seattle or or Green Bay, you're going to be in big trouble. So I think what it says is you have to evaluate it um, looking at the big picture versus the small picture. I would never tell anyone to not be excited about a comeback win. I mean... Of course, like if you watch that game, you got your money's worth. If you paid for it or if you just invested the time to watch that football game, you walked away from that going, wow, am I glad I watched the second half of that football game as opposed to going outside and raking the leaves. Like That was amazing. So I I wouldn't tell you to be upset about it, uh, but through the lens of the bigger picture here and what you're going to have to do down the stretch and potentially in the playoffs, because now everything is about playoffs. 
once you're eight and three. If they had lost these last two close games and they're six and five, then it's are you going to make the playoffs? Then it's well, this next game is huge, and here's how this is, whatever, whatever. Now it's just. Keep playing halfway decent and you're in the playoffs because Philly melts down yesterday and they don't take advantage of a chance to win. Uh, Chicago's eliminated themselves from the conversation. The Rams aren't a great team and they're kind of hanging around in the background, but they're not really that close to you at this point. So it would take a pretty serious meltdown. But in the bigger picture, yesterday, Rhodes was targeted five times, four catches, 110 yards. Trey Waynes was targeted five times, three catches for 73 yards. That is bad. Uh, to your point, J. Ron Curse was targeted five times, zero receptions yeah. against him yesterday. He played absolutely awesome. He was number one. He only played uh, 40 snaps yesterday because of, obviously, the injuries. But he was the number one graded player by Pro Football Focus uh, in yesterday's game. And he absolutely deserved that. He had a couple of run stops as well that we tend to sort of overlook. Well, good thing someone tackled him. But you know somebody had to make that play. And I think... And have thought for a long time, Curse is a good football player. And he told me after the game yesterday, I sort of said, what did this mean to you to have this? And he said, well, it just shows what I already know, which is I'm a good football player. And I agree with him. I think he's a valuable asset that you're not helping yourself if you keep him on the bench. Sorry he got arrested. Like, that's not a good thing that he did. And maybe his attitude hasn't been great. And some of his Twitter interactions haven't been great. And he needs to cut that out. But at the same time, he's shown he's a good football player and he should be in more often. I think it should be about the matchup game. Who can you use Holton Hill against? Who can you use Mike Hughes against? Do you have to put Mackenzie Alexander outside if they have a smaller, quicker receiver or something like that? Because he can match those smaller, quicker guys. That's how I think it should be done. Mm-hmm. I'll be fascinated to see how it is done. I would also say, Judd, that you know, in, this, in, the, in the first half of that game with Cousins and the way he looked... You can't look at his final stat line and say, wow, what a game. You have to look at it as the tale of two halves and how differently the uh, uh, Denver Broncos played with that version of Cousins. We've seen this a million times with Kirk. This was a classic. He's down by three scores and puts up a bunch of numbers. And in this one, it just so happened that the Denver stopped trying to play offensive football for the second half, basically, and made yeah. a, a, a number of tremendously awful decisions that allowed you to actually come back in this one, including not putting a safety over Stephon Diggs at all times, because that that would be number one for me if I'm going against the Vikings. We're up by three scores. Okay, you and you, you are on Diggs the rest of this game. And that is the and that is the end of the story. But the Broncos' plan was the, absolutely inexplicable. They didn't pressure him. They completely fell apart. But yep. any, anyway, you know, put that aside. Like we've seen this before. We've seen this Kirk before that loses you the game in the first half. They got away with it yesterday. They won't get away with it again. You said it ninety nine straight times. Teams didn't get away with falling down twenty to nothing. You're not going to be able to do it again. And if you're concerned about how this will look as we go forward, that's another place to start. I think it begins with the pass defense, but it also goes to this as well of, look, your quarterback has these moments where he just seems to freeze, and when it happens, your offense doesn't go anywhere no matter how many good players you have. And and I would, if I'm a Vikings fan coming away from that, I would be very concerned that that's going to show up at some point. Can you win three playoff games? Or, or two playoff games to get to the Super Bowl, but right. right now they're a wild card. So that means you win your wild card and then divisional and then championship. You, can you win three games? Is he not going to do this at any point and, in those three games? And plus, is this offense good enough that you can literally say, put the defense on your back 
and win against a really good team? Think about that statement. This offense has some components, I think, that are marvelous. Diggs is great. Cousins can be very solid. I I would stop short of calling him great, but I would say he can be solid. Dalvin Cook can be great. But if I tell you right now that I'm going to say, starting with playoff game one, and heck, let's say they beat the Packers and are division champions, but I'm going to tell you, starting with playoff game one, that the necessary... Uh, ingredient here is going to be that the offense is going to have to put the defense on its back against a really good team and win that playoff game. I'm sorry. I, for one, cannot buy that. I can't do that. I can't go that far. The only reason you would have to buy it is just because all the other teams in the NFC have their own problems. I mean, New Orleans lost to Atlanta just a week ago. Green Bay's gotten away with a bunch of wins maybe they shouldn't have had, including against the Minnesota Vikings at home, in which they almost blew a 21-point lead against the Vikings that we thought was going to be a blowout, and then they allowed the Vikings to come back. Uh, we saw Dallas has its problems at the head coach position. Um, we we saw that the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo are capable of kind of getting punched in the mouth and not being able to respond. I don't think Seattle has a very good defense the, this year. They've given up a lot of points on the defensive side and really rely on their quarterback. So nobody's perfect in the NFC. That would be your best argument for it, but... The circumstance they're in now, and this is why the end of the season is so important, because if they keep winning, then they have a good chance to win the NFC North and get a home playoff game. And if Mm -hmm. you can do that, then they're in the driver's seat. If you can't, and you're in the position you are now, and you've got to go a very, very long way to get to the Super Bowl, that's a tough sell. It's a tough sell that at some point the uh, defensive backs wouldn't get abused. It's it's a tough sell at some point that Cousins wouldn't show up. Or that the other team could just pressure Cousins. My God, they pressured him six times the whole game on 40 dropbacks. Like, that's, a, it, that's why it's kind of a how, bad football team. How did they look, the, the Vikings offense, how did it look so bad in that first half, too? I think it's because... That was they, just inept. I think it's because they stopped Delvin. And when you stop Delvin, then... I think the Vikings sort of get a little tense. Like, uh uh-oh, we're not in second. And everybody sort of panics. Play callers, quarterbacks, you might be right. Right, why aren't we in second and two all the time? Um, And and then I'm going to have to look at it closer when the tape comes out. because I I hate to be like the post-game guy who says i got to look at the tape, but I'm really fascinated to see why there were so many people running open in the second half. And then another part of it, too, is, I mean, Kirk did make some great throws, just flat out. Like, great, great plays. The third and 14, he had another one that was a third down to Diggs. That was a huge play in the game that set them up. So him making big third down throws is something that you don't always expect from him. Mm-hmm. And he did that in the second half of that game. But I am still sort of marveling at Denver's defense not being able to get an ounce of pressure on Kirk Cousins. And I literally mean none. He was sacked five times. Yep. What, four of those came in the first half? Three, three in the first three, half. Three in the first half. Yeah. And the only two pressures that he got otherwise uh, were the two sacks in the second half. You get him to strip sack, you know, you get the fumble, you don't take advantage of it. Like, it's very hard to talk about this game and all the great things that happen, which are deserved to be talked about, without saying, wow, I can't believe Denver in this game. I can't believe the things that they did. And that's where, when you're trying to convince yourself one way or the other, am I more concerned or am I more just excited about the single game result? Well, the single game result puts you in the playoffs, essentially. 
you'd have to really bleep this up. You're up by two now, players. right? Yeah, I mean, this on the one, wild card team or teams right behind you in the wild and card. And let's race. not say anything's impossible. But you know what this is, Vikings? But they're Matthew, they're basically in the playoffs after that win. If you told me, if you told me, put a Vikings game from 2019 in, in a time capsule, so people in 2045 can dig it up and say <laughs> who were the 2019 Vikings, right? I think I'd put the first half in and the second half in and say this was them. There you have it. Like the that offense was unplayable in the first half. It was awful. Everything about it was terrible. And in the second half, it was the uh, greatest show on turf Rams. Seriously, I would put that game in a time capsule and say, watch the first half. Now, stay tuned, although you're tempted to tune out for the second <laughs> half. And there you have, which is which is why I keep defaulting to the explanation of, I can't explain this team. Mm-hmm. So when you ask me, what do you think about it? I don't know. I'm hoping Seattle provides clarity, but I really don't know. Um, there's a couple of things that we need to discuss around the NFL when we return. A benching or not benching and legit Lamar when we return. Matthew Collar, Judd Zelgad here. You listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download for this hour. The Score North Podcast Network consists of more than a dozen shows from Purple Daily and Raised by Wolves. To the scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained, you can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts over at scorenorth.com, the free Score North mobile app, or just search Score North, S-K-O-R North, anywhere you find your podcast. Mike Zimmer today talking about what he liked most about the come-from-behind win yesterday. The biggest thing is I like the resiliency of this football team. You know, they could have laid down at halftime. They fought and kept fighting and kept scratching. Uh, Kirk played uh, fantastic, probably his best game he's played since he's been here. You know, we had a lot of guys rise occasion, guys. We had some guy injuries, and we had to uh, have other guys come in and suck it up and make plays, make plays at the end. I actually think uh, in the spring I had uh, I put uh, a situation where they get one play to win win the game, and uh, so it showed up the other day. That's been your score on download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad, and. Um, Something in the NFC North that needed to be mentioned, just to put the Vikings aside for one second here. Uh, Matt Nagy last night clearly benched Mitch Trubisky. There's no question in my mind about it that he was um, seeing what his quarterback was doing. It was awful. Mm -hmm. He knew that he had one last shot to try and win the game. Mm -hmm. That was Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel, of course, you know he's not that type of quarterback. He might be able to get you ahead, and then you hang on. We saw that. He's not going to... Bring you back. Right. Uh, but his last shot was Chase Daniel. Let's throw him out there, see if some miracle happens, because Mitch Trubisky is absolutely awful. But I haven't decided yet who's worse, him or his head coach. But just to give you the numbers, he threw 43 passes Trubisky did yesterday for 190 yards, 4.4 yards per attempt, which is less than what Delvin Cook averages rushing mm-hmm. this year by kind of quite a bit. In fact, Tariq Cohen last night averaged 4.3 yards per carry on the ground. So this is about as awful of quarterback play as you can ever have for Mitch Trubisky. He clearly was benched. Uh, Nagy pulls him aside. He was give him a hug, right? Helmet. He's giving him a hug. He's saying, you're done. You're terrible. Yep. This is a bad season for you, and I'm probably fired after this. So sorry, my friend. And then the team comes out with an injury report that says, well, he's questionable to return with like a minute left in the game with a hip injury. And yep. then Matt Nagy says today that... Uh, it's a, it was an injury, and that's why he pulled him. He didn't pull him because of bad play. Well, that is 
obviously a lie. We don't believe you, Matt Nagy. Not not that, or nor do I believe that you know what you're doing at all as an NFL head coach. And I think it was clearly just the team's defense last year that got them to the NFC North title. And the Bears now look like just a clown show. They're one year away from, wow, you could go to the Super Bowl with Trubisky and Matt Nagy, such a great offensive coach, and look at this defense. And Vic Fangio is your defensive coordinator. He's doing it again, and on and on and on. Yep. And now... You look like you're right back to square one, and they probably won too many games to draft another quarterback at the very top. They are in one of the worst positions, I think, in the entire NFL. So your buddy Sage, and I think he's right about this, has referred to Nagy as basically Childress Light. Yes. Because Childress and Nagy come from the Andy Retree. They look alike. They seem to have some of the same issues. Do you think the 2019 Bears, compared to the 2018 Bears, are, and they didn't go this far, but are sort of the 2009 Vikings into in 2010, when Brad just sort of lost control in 2010, and things went wrong, and, so, and they were not all his fault, but they started to spiral. But down to this one, let me throw this parallel at you, Matthew Keller, and get your thoughts. Ryan Pace drafted Trubisky. So that's not that was never Matt's guy. Matt clearly said when he went in to the uh, to Chicago to talk about the job, clearly said I can work with this kid and make him great. But do you think that there's parallels to be drawn here? Because the Trubisky benching was almost like a, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to tell you why and I'm going to lie about it, but I can't say that I'm benching Ryan Pace's draft pick. Do you think it's sort of akin? to what Brad did with Randy Moss, where Brad got mad at Moss, released him, didn't bother to tell the Wilfs, and the Wilfs were like, what did you do? Do you think that there's some... Because Trubisky, Ryan Pace looks like an idiot, and has for quite a while. I would say This is not new. But it's pretty clear to me that there's no way an offensive-minded head coach, if he could, wouldn't have pulled the plug on Trubisky by now. So do you think he just said, you know what, I can't do this, I'm going to bench him. I'm going to lie about benching him because my GM is going to be upset. Mm. But I got to be honest, at this point, if Matt Nagy gets fired the day after the season ends, I'm not going to be shocked. Oh, no. I'm like, not this gonna is gone. At all. This has gone I think really sideways. It. And I think, but, but if he is let go, they should let Ryan Pace go too. Because that draft pick is 100%. awful. And it was awful from the day it was made. And everyone questioned it the day it was made. Mm-hmm. And the, I, I've got the tweets <laughs> yeah. know, to, to back that up. That you, I understand there were some questions about Mahomes and whether he could play like in an NFL offense and stuff like that. I get that one. I will never understand the Deshaun Watson one. Just ever in my entire life. A and guy traded up. could not have done any more. And yes, they traded up with a team that wasn't going to pick a quarterback because they just paid one a bunch of money and traded for one in Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. So foolish, foolish moves. They've built, the thing about Ryan Pace, though, that is weird is that they've built a good roster there. And that's why Matt Nagy's going to get it. Because when you look around and you go, wait a minute, you got Allen Robinson who's a good player. Gabriel's a good player. You bring in Patterson, you don't seem to know how to use him. You get rid of Jordan Howard, which I'll never understand. But even the Montgomery guy, Cohen is a good player. Like the, Their offensive line is okay. It's not great. It's okay. But you, you've built a, a team that has this good roster. You trade for Khalil Mack on defense. You're still a very good team. They hold the Rams to 17 last night. Give themselves a chance to win. You saw what they did to the Vikings at Soldier Field. Like They're a pretty good defense still. So the overall roster is solid, but... 
if you make this huge of a mistake on the quarterback position, it's very hard for you to keep your job. And if your head coach cannot adjust at all in year two and clearly panics after the way they lost that game, and you called this in the offseason. You were on this from the minute it happened. When Matt Nagy brought in 11 different kickers, when he was calling people at the local gro- grocery store and bringing them in and saying, everybody be quiet. What's going to, we're going to have Augusta silence. Yeah. We're going to have <laughs> Joey from Target kick this ball and see if he can make a 40, whatever it was, 41 yarder. Like that is where it started to jump the shark. And I wonder if the players in that locker room were like, dude, why is our coach freaking out? Here? 100%. There's no way, there's no way that a group of players would not say our coach is really off his rocker. And the other thing, too, is the kid they finally got a kicker is missing kicks. Yeah, he's not any good either. So after all of that, you finally settle on, what, Panero as your kicker, and he can't make kicks. And then Trubisky gets hurt, and you bring in your backup, who's actually a pretty good backup. If you were ranking backups, he's probably in the top five, Chase Daniel. He's been around a long time. He beat the Vikings, moves the ball down the field pretty well. He's not a great thrower. Like, he's not going to wow you with his arm. But he could sort of be that game manager. So if you stick with him, you're probably going to make your GM pretty mad if you stuck with Chase Daniel. But if you said, you know what? The guy's playing pretty good. Let's just hang tight with him and see how this goes. Trubisky was really looking shaky early on, and we could all tell that. They scored, like, what, three points in the first game? I think that you're in the playoff race right now. But the GM, I guarantee you, said no. Yes. There's no way that Nagy didn't try and say after the Vikings win, I think we should consider this, right? And I guarantee you the GM's like, no, no, no. Mitch is our guy. Mitch is, which is why the whole thing is dysfunctional and probably deserves to be in its totality let go. Yes. Yeah. I and I think both of them should be gone because there's too many egos now at play over Trubisky when the obvious answer is the guy can't be your quarterback. If Ryan Pace is going to stick with that and he's going to want to pay him or he's going to say, no, 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 it's a new coach. Uh, I think we're seeing this with a GM in Tampa Bay who kept arguing that their terrible quarterback, who I said two years in a row, Judd, you heard me say it, I would take all 31 other quarterbacks over Jameis Winston. How's yep. that played out? He stinks. And they brought in Bruce Arians, and they said, no, 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 no. The quarterback whisper. His book is literally called The Quarterback Whisper. Well, guess who he was whispering to? Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, you're a genius. Carson Palmer. Wow, what a genius he is. Good for you, Bruce. Guess what? Winston blows. And so does Mitch Trubisky. So if you're going to ask... Matt Nagy, who obviously hasn't adjusted very well, to keep going with Trubisky. If I'm Nagy, I'm saying, fire me. Just get me out of here. If you're not going to replace him, fire me. And if I'm the owners, I'm saying, if you're not going to replace him, Ryan Pace, then you're fired too. When you stick with a quarterback that's bad and double down and double down, the Buffalo Bills did this with E.J. Manuel. It was clear right from the start, the guy couldn't play. And Okay, we're going to trade up and draft Sammy Watkins. That's how we're going to fix this. Christian... uh, uh, Christian Ponder probably had the same thing, where it's like, well, all he really needs is well, this guy and that guy. Before that, Tavares Jackson. Tavares Jackson. Brad, Brad swore, when, swore, yep, this yep. is my guy, he's going to be great. And we're like, no, he's not. Right. When you try to talk yourself into it, yes. that's when you ruin a franchise for a very long time, and that's what Chicago is on the precipice of doing, and guess what? They look freaking stupid for trading for Khalil Mack now. Like You've got Khalil Mack. How do you think Khalil Mack You've feels? got Akeem Hicks. You've got these good receivers. Everything is in place to be a good team. And your coach is a fool, and your general manager is a fool for sticking with this quarterback, and I don't know what you're supposed to do. If you're you're the ownership of that team with these two guys, I think you have to blow them both out. 
Otherwise, the egos are going to keep competing, and you're going to keep losing. Trubisky has to be. I mean, there's, this can't continue. You can't keep going back to well, this well. When you're it's faking just not, an injury to bench him, you've yeah. reached the He's point ponder. of no return. He is Ponder. Yeah. That's a fair comp now. Yep. He's Christian Ponder. You've reached the point of no return. Uh, I want to talk about Lamar Jackson because, once again, Lamar Jackson is not a running back. Uh, he's the MVP of the NFL. He's fourth in quarterback rating and tenth in rushing yards. He's my Madden quarterback. He's my Tech Mobile quarterback. You could take Randall Cunningham on Tech Mobile and do this, where you could just, oh, if no one's open, I'll just run and get a bunch of yards. And Michael Vick, he's Michael Vick from Madden 04, depending on the generation that you are. There has never been a quarterback who could throw the ball this well and run like this consistently. Like, Randall Cunningham would have his moments throwing the ball, but then he would also get sacked a million times, and he would have his droughts of throwing, and if teams aim to slow down his running, then he just wouldn't win, and he'd get to the playoffs and get shut down. Mm -hmm. Michael Vick was not an accurate thrower. And I don't know that he ever really dedicated himself or led his team the way that Lamar Jackson did. And yesterday, when Mark Ingram went up to the podium and did this hilarious WWE style like introduction, I don't know what it was supposed to be, but he did this really funny introduction for Lamar Jackson's press conference. I think it showed you just the love of the players for Lamar Jackson and how much they believe in him and care about him. And uh, he said yesterday, great line from Lamar Jackson. He's like, I love that stat about throwing for four touchdowns because uh, I thought I was a running back, which is great. Oh, he brought that. (laughs) I love that he's motivated. He's not going to let it go. And he right now is the most fun player to watch in the entire NFL. And he is my NFL MVP at this moment. And he was taken by a team that said, we don't care that that he doesn't fit our system. We'll change our system. And how important is that? It's how important I mean, they, is instead of but how many teams say oh we can't do that we this isn't what we do yeah it's everything it's well it's almost everything i think lamar jackson is such a resilient person that he could pro and he's so talented that he probably would have gone anywhere and succeeded if he got the opportunity sure but it's a lesson in flexibility but it has helped a ton that they have the right guy for it in greg roman defensively how smart does baltimore also look for a very simple trade it didn't it was not a huge one the Marcus Peters trade. Marcus Peters has gone there and played, I, but he's been used correctly, okay? And Earl Thomas, too, bringing him in. Yeah, yeah great moves. But Marcus Peters, in-season trade, went there, was, was I, I believe, um, statistically struggling with the Rams, has gone there, been used differently, been used wisely. How different are the Vikings right now if you have a cornerback like that being used, by the way, mm. by a very good coach, yeah. in, in the proper manner? How different is this? I mean, how different do you... If, if we really talk about the Vikings and their playoff chances right now, okay? If we're talking about a secondary and cornerbacks that we're confident, let's not even say they're great, but you're confident and you think that they can do the, the job. You're saying to yourself, this guy might be the limit on this one. Might be. Right now, you always stop at, mm, but the pass defense. I would, yeah. Baltimore, I mean, man, is looking so smart. I would be very concerned uh, for the Vikings and we talked about this as sort of seeing into the future of what was going to happen with their pass defense as it was going on and why there would be a compelling case to make a trade. Now, the Vikings did call on Jalen Ramsey, but decided two first-round picks were too many. And at that time, the one thing I would give them is the fact that we really weren't sure about a Kirk Cousins extension. And this sort of goes to a little bit of tomorrow's show with Courtney Cronin, but we're going to have to start having that conversation with Kirk Cousins and an extension. And I think if you're the Vikings... That's what they're talking about right now is 
What might that look like, the way he's played so far this year? And we could talk about how dangerous that might be. But at that time, it was, "Mm, we might need that first-round pick if we go... You know, nine and seven or something. And Kirk has a lot more of these games where he doesn't show and we miss the playoffs by a sure. game. Then, you know, maybe if you went nine and seven and missed the playoffs, you wouldn't be talking about people fired, but you'd be talking about how can you trade up to get Tua? And you can't trade for Jalen Ramsey when that's happening. Now, Peter's a little more reasonable. The Vikings are 17th in passer rating against Baltimore mm-hmm. is third yep. in the NFL yeah. in passer rating. Baltimore's against. defense is legit. Baltimore looks like the best team in the NFL. At this at this point, because mm-hmm. when you compare how they pass the ball, uh, the fact that their quarterback is unstoppable running it is unlike anything we've ever seen outside of Michael Vick, and then the fact that they have a good pass defense, yeah, I think they're the best team. But I just I can't say enough how much I appreciate Lamar Jackson as a person to deal with all the things that he dealt with coming into the league. He didn't run a 40. People were mad about that. They want him to be a wide receiver. People are mad about that. Then he goes into this offseason, and there was this big thing about, well, they're changing the offense. Can Lamar handle it? He can't throw the football. He's not accurate. All these things. Lamar works the entire offseason to throw the ball better, and he has been great throwing the football this year overall. And just overcoming all these things that people thought he couldn't be to be, I think, at this moment, the NFL's best player. And something like we've never seen before in the entire league. It's amazing. But also, I would say this, the count, the other side of it is, you know how it drives me nuts when teams punt on 4th and 1 at the other team's 35? Yep. When teams, 31 teams, pass on a talent like this who won the Heisman at, what, 19 years old? Mm-hmm. Who took Louisville with its garbage and put them in big games against great teams? who went toe-to-toe with Deshaun Watson and Clemson when his team was nowhere close to Clemson's team. These guys, when you look at a guy through college, and they've got these NFL skills, but they also overcome everything that's thrown at them. Like, why do they end up in the fourth round or at the end of the first round or whatever? Teddy Bridgewater, Louisville's garbage. And he goes there, and they're beating Miami in, in huge games. Dak Prescott has Mississippi State, which... Anybody watch that game against Alabama? That's Mississippi State. They're awful. And yet Dak Prescott had them at the top of the league. It just blows my mind that people who consistently overcome their circumstances get more out of a team than they ever should because they're great at football. And the NFL evaluators go, Mitch Trubisky, though. Blake Bortles, though. Like, what? How does this happen? Big kid. Big kid. Even Jameis Winston. Like, Jameis Winston showed you exactly who he was in college. He threw a ton of interceptions, and he was a jackass. And yet he goes number one because he's tall and has huge hands and can throw it real far. It's just, it it will never stop amazing me. And I don't know when the lessons will be learned by the NFL. I've told told you the number one thing, if I were a team that I would crack down on and I don't want to hear about and I don't want to hear any of your evaluation, starts with combine interviews where these kids are coached up. Yeah. And they go in, and teams are like, 15 minutes is all I needed from Jameis. Now I know who he is. No, I'm serious, though. Well, and Jameis is a Christian, sociopath, so he's going to be able yeah, to fool but, you. But, you know, Christian Ponder, who I think is a good kid, yeah. nice enough guy, super smart, super book smart, sat down, and the Vikings were like, this kid t- is telling us everything. And Lamar... And then you lose, but then you lose what your scouts are telling you. One of my favorite things about Lamar is that... Uh, it's been a classic trope of like black athletes where they're like, oh, he speaks well, right? Lamar does not speak particularly well. Look how well he leads. Look how smart he is. Look yeah. how he runs that offense. Yeah. Like that whole thing is bogus too. Does he speak well? Who freaking cares? But Are that's, you watching but him play football? That's right where now? you get fooled. But yeah. you get fooled because these guys also get coached up. 
Yep. The combine has is more destructive, I think, than any any scouting event in pro sports. Yeah. Because yep. what I want to know is what do my scouts in the field think of players who they see play on Saturday? And by the way, the other thing that makes no sense is, and I did not think that this day would come, but it definitely has, the NFL game has incorporated more of the college game than I ever thought. And it's vice versa. So it's not it's not the pro game going to college now. It's the pro teams picking up on the college game. So what a kid does well in college actually now does matter. Like this non-transferable yes. skill, is that's BS. That's BS because you're now adopting and running your offenses more like the college game. And I would say this, that what Arizona did with Kyler Murray, and they've lost some close games this year, but tell me you're not excited about Kyler Murray. Absolutely. The, the way that he's played this year. Um, usually rookies kind of get run over. They don't play very well. They struggle with adversity, that sort of thing. They're on a He's on a bad team. Arizona's horrible. Yeah, but I like him a lot. And, and yet he's making plays. He's keeping them in games. They've lost a lot of one score and close games and things like that where he's played pretty darn well. And he's got right now 91 quarterback rating, 14 touchdowns, five picks, and he leads their team in rushing 418 <laughs> yards. And And again, we get to the combine, and it's, well, does the kid want to play baseball? Should he be a running back? He's, he's too short. Is he is he not thick enough? Ended right. up becoming a thing. Like, did you watch the guy throw the football? And by the way, he is thick. He's oh, short, yeah, but he's yeah. thick. I mean, he. But he was. But but this whole thing is based on a lot of people who think they're football geniuses. It it really does. It comes down to the fact that they think that they know more, and because of that, I don't think they apply common sense. It's also a lot of. This is the way we've always done it with quarterbacks yeah. and, and so forth. And I can't help thinking, watching Lamar Jackson, how many quarterbacks got passed over because they weren't perfect at throwing the football. Here's Greg Roman says, you know what? Lamar Jackson throwing to the sidelines, which is supposed to be the NFL throw. Like if you could make that sideline deep out, that's the NFL throw. Well, if he's not particularly great at that, then why not just not do it? Like why not? Why not just? Yeah, but that's a big deal. Right. But what you just said to to a lot of coaches would be a huge deal, right? Why? Why don't they we, would not accept that? Why don't? But it's funny because it doesn't work the opposite way. If a quarterback can't move around super well, they'll be like, "Well, no big deal." But he can make the sideline throw, but he can't move around super well. Right. Like, wait, isn't moving around kind of a big deal in the NFL? And uh, yeah, the arm strength thing is another. Just it's just bogus. I mean, you have to meet a certain threshold of arm strength to play in the NFL, or you're Nathan Peterman, but. Otherwise, like Lamar Jackson was not lacking in the velocity. That was Deshaun Watson's issue, which look how that turned out. But as long as you could throw it hard enough and you can execute a certain number of plays really, really well, there's only like three quarterbacks who can execute any route combination, any throw at any level, at any area of the field all the time. And it's Breeze, it's Brady, it's Rodgers. It's like those are the only guys who can do that. Everybody else has their strengths and weaknesses. We see this with Kirk Cousins. Like Kirk Cousins against good teams in a drop-back game loses the game. But if he gets chances to roll out and bootleg, he's great. So here's Kevin Stefanski playing it to his strengths. Crazy how that works. Well, why hasn't this been done with more Lamar Jackson-type players in the past? I'd love to know. Because the NFL will always be the NFL. I was going to say, there's no Vic answer to your Fangio question. Will always How does Vic Fangio goal? have a head coaching job? That's the only question that I have after yesterday. Uh, I would have fired him on the plane ride home. You know what, though? You're a defensive coordinator. I will quote Patrick Royce and say, if not for head football coaches, we wouldn't have jobs on Sports Talk Radio. Hey, you might be right. <laughs> Appreciate them for yeah. that.
Uh, Judd, thanks for your time. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next to talk more about the Vikings' insane 20-point comeback against Denver yesterday. We will catch you tomorrow with Courtney Cronin and Alex Boone on Purple Daily. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.